Good morning, everybody. It is great to be back up here again, to have another opportunity to speak in front of you, to share what I have from God's Word um, with you. And as Pastor Zach said this morning, how appropriate this message is. In a time um, following what happened this Friday, because what are we to do in times like this? We are to worship God, preach the Word, and to share the Gospel. And before we get started with what we have that is new, I know that I can't remember what I had for dinner three nights ago, so I don't expect all of you to remember everything I said a month ago when we started this series. Um, But about a month ago, we did start a short series on personal evangelism entitled Humbly Heralding the Gospel, where we looked at Paul's example and instruction on sharing the gospel from 1 Corinthians 9. And we saw in 1 Corinthians 8, in the first 14 verses of chapter 9, that we are entering into the middle of a discussion that Paul is having with the church at Corinth about laying aside rights for the sake of the gospel. We learned in chapter 8 that Paul, looking at a situation with eating meat sacrificed to idols that might cause others to stumble in their faith and unbelievers to turn from hearing the gospel, he instructed the Corinthians to keep the gospel and the furtherance of the gospel at the forefront of all decisions and conversations. Then in chapter 9, Paul shows us that this is what he practices in his life. He shows us this first by showing both logically and scripturally that he has certain rights as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He had a right to get food and drink from the churches he worked with. He has the right to take a believing wife for help in ministry and in finances, and he has the right to not work a second job and just get provision from the churches he ministers to. And after scripturally and logically showing that Paul has every reason to take advantage of his rights, he chooses not to use any of his rights for the sake of furthering the gospel. And we saw first Paul's posture that it was one of humble submission to the gospel and that he would endure anything and he would rather even die than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ and thus deprive him of his ground for boasting, which was presenting the gospel free of charge as the free gift that it is. And why does Paul do this? Well, because he had a deep understanding of the nature of the gospel. Paul knew and was humbled by the fact that he had nothing to do with his salvation, but his salvation was given to him by grace alone through faith alone. Paul also understood the example of Christ's humility in the gospel. Paul saw that humility is such a crucial aspect of the gospel because humility was perfectly embodied and displayed in the person of Jesus Christ in putting on flesh and being obedient to death on a cross for our sins. Then we learned that Paul's pleasure was in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ for free because the free gift of the gospel was his greatest pleasure. Paul boasted in sharing the gospel free of charge because he was able to set himself apart from greedy, false teachers of the day and to keep his motives pure and out of question and ultimately to take pleasure in giving a gospel that has no restrictions, just as it was given to him and as it is given to each one of us. Paul's singular pleasure, the thing that provided him comfort and satisfaction, was not money nor a wife nor the freedom to not work a second job. It was preaching the gospel as a free gift that it is. So the question for us was what things do we allow that may or may not even be our actual God-given rights that get in the way of sharing the gospel? What do we allow to hinder the gospel of Christ in our lives? 
We need to identify these things, humbly submit ourselves to the gospel, and see it and savor it as our highest pleasure for the free gift that it is. But why? Well, we saw that Paul makes a connection between someone being humble to the point of seeing and savoring the gospel as our highest pleasure, which is a Christian, that's what a Christian is, and someone who actually takes the pleasure of sharing it with others. And we saw that that connection was obedience. And obedience to what? Obedience to the call of God from above and from within. And granted, we did not come to a face-to-face encounter with Christ like Paul did. We are still called by God after being changed by the gospel to preach the gospel both within and from above. And we first looked at the fact that each and every Christian upon salvation has a call from within, a necessity that is laid upon them. The gospel of Christ and the good news sits within a believer like a burning fire that cannot be contained. And the believer must share it. It is a characteristic of the believer that they will share the gospel. It will happen. Each and every Christian also has a call from above in Scripture, like passages Matthew 28, Acts 1, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 Peter 2, where God commissions and sends His people to be stewards of the gospel, sharing it and making disciples of all the nations. Paul instructs us to follow his example in obedience to the call from God from above and from within. And finally, the reward we would get is a joyous heart from obeying God and sharing the free gift of the gospel with others. By being a faithful steward of the riches of Christ in the gospel, by sharing it with no obstacles or restrictions, we give glory to our God, which is the only reward we will ever need. And some of you might be saying, well, that's really great, Paul. That's really easy to say, but what does that even look like? I know your message is really just that simple. Humbly submit to the gospel. Give up things that hinder your sharing. Savor it as your highest pleasure. And obey God in sharing it with others. I believe the gospel. I am saved. I am ready to share with others. And I have even tried to remove certain obstacles from my life. Like my comfort or my feelings about other people's politics. But yeah, you know, it's really hard to do. Okay, You can't just say stop it and move on. What is the game plan? After believing the gospel and humbling myself under it, how do I effectively remove obstacles and share? What is my strategy or approach? What is my purpose or my aim? And Paul says, ah, I thought you'd ask that. (laughs) And then in 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23, he answers those questions. And our outline for today's passage is, you guessed it, a practical approach and a purposeful aim a practical approach, and a purposeful aim. And at this time, I would encourage you to take out your Bibles and join me in the privilege we have of reading and opening God's Word together. So this morning we are in 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23. 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23. And Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, writes these words. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, 
that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. May God bless the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, you are good, and you have revealed your goodness to us. We know that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our paths. It is pure, reviving the soul. It is a double-edged sword breathed out by you and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for training in righteousness, that we may be complete and lacking in nothing. Father, as we as your people are gathered together in your place today to study your word, I pray that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your law. Guide my words, Lord, and help me to be consistent with what your word says. And Father, it is my prayer that these people here today would be given the grace to hear and take with them a better sermon than what I'm about to preach. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today's passage is organized into the statements first describing the approach and then purpose statements or the aims of the approach. So we will first tackle the statements describing Paul's practical approach. A practical approach where we will first see a Christ-given principle in verse 19 and then a crucial relationship in verses 20 to 23. So first, a Christ-given principle. This is a general overarching principle that Paul gives here before going into detail on what the approach specifically looks like. Paul says in verse 19, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. In other words, Paul is not under any one person. He does not work for any individual. He is free. He has rights. And as we saw in verses 15 through 18, Paul has rights, and he gives up those rights for the sake of the gospel. But here he answers how? By making himself a servant to all. Instead of abusing his rights and freedoms for selfish gain, he uses his freedom in the gospel to become a slave of all. This is Paul's very practical approach in one general phrase. Using my rights and my freedom in the gospel, I have made myself a servant to all, meaning I have subjected myself under all. He has forgotten his rights and removed obstacles from the gospel by placing himself under the customs, practices, and needs of the people to whom he was ministering. However, Paul does not disobey God's word when he places himself under these things and under these people but he only yields to those things that were of indifference, of indifference. As in, they were not prohibited by God, they did not directly oppose one of God's commands, and they did not cause others to stumble in their faith by Paul doing them. For example, in Galatians 2, 4 through 5, false believers who were Judaizers, people who followed Jewish law, believed that Gentiles converted to Christianity must be circumcised. But Paul says, we did not give in to them for a moment. We didn't subject ourselves under them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. 
Paul did not allow those with him to submit to these teachings regarding circumcision because he found clarity around the truths of the gospel as a higher importance. That area of circumcision in that situation was not one of indifference. For Paul's slavery to that or subjection to that principle would have caused there to be a haze of confusion around the gospel and thus making a obstacle, an obstacle in front of the gospel. But Paul did not come up with this idea on his own. This principle is Christ-given, both in example and in command. We learned the last time I preached in Mark 10, 43-44, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. This was commanded by Christ. But then in verse 45 he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The approach of making oneself a slave of all was also demonstrated by Christ. He did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but in love he jumped into our world, wrapped himself in flesh, and subjected himself to the state of a human, even becoming obedient to death in the most humiliating manner. Why? Because he loved us. Ephesians 5.2 says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. This principle, this approach, is one of love. Paul saw Christ's command and an example of love and obeyed Christ's command and followed his example by making this his overarching principle for how he would go about removing obstacles from the gospel. It was in Christ-like love, making himself a slave of all, subjecting himself under the customs, practices, and needs of the people to whom he was ministering. Paul, out of a love for God and sacrificial love for others, subjected himself to their ways of life, and that is the Christ-given principle that Paul followed. But to understand this principle better, Paul begins to explain in what way and to what extent he followed this principle of love. Paul begins to do this by giving us keen insight into a crucial relationship. A crucial relationship. This relationship is between Christians and the law. And now let's take a look at the approach statements in verses 20 to 23. Paul says, To the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. I'm sorry, I need a clicker now. Um, And next, to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law. And finally, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So notice the use of the connecting word, as. Paul did not literally become a Jew. He did not literally become one under the law, and he did not literally become one outside the law. No, he became analogous to those people as a Jew, as one under the law, as one outside the law, completely subjecting himself to any one of those groups would mean he would have to yield to things that were not of indifference, but that are contrary to God's word and things that would obstruct the furtherance of the gospel. Paul is setting an example of walking an extremely thin line. He's saying you need to become like them. You need to go into the midst of them, but without actually becoming them. And to understand how to do this well, Paul gives us this crucial relationship between Christians and the law. So the first thing that he points out in these verses is that Christians are not actually under the law. Not only does he show this 
in using the word as, but he also explicitly states, though not myself, being under the law. Romans 6.14 says, we are not under law, but under grace. And since Paul has this freedom of not being under the law as a Christian, he can thus voluntarily subject himself to the law in some ways in order to reach those under it. For example, in Acts 16.3, Timothy was circumcised, unlike in Galatians, because of the Jews. And in Acts 21.21-26, Paul paid four Nazarites' expenses for their sacrificial offering. We as believers are thankfully not under the ceremonial law anymore. But we can use that freedom as a way to reach those who are, are even still under that law today, as Paul did. But second, Paul says that though we are not under the law anymore... We are not outside the law completely, but we are still under the law of God. But Paul is creating a distinction in the types of law. There is a ceremonial law that we are no longer under, and then there is a moral law of God that we are still under today. The morality set in place by God has not changed. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 19, Paul says, Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters is keeping the commandments of God. Paul is saying that even though the ceremonial commandment of God of circumcision in the Old Testament no longer needs to be kept, we still need to keep the moral commandments of God that he has given us. That will never, ever change. This reinforces that principle that we cannot subject ourselves to everything and become a slave to everything, because we are not actually outside the law. We are not actually Jews, and we are not actually pagans, and we cannot give ourselves to sin. We must still follow the moral law of God. And third, his third insight that he gives is that the moral law is fulfilled and summarized in the law of Christ, which believers are now subjected under. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the what? The law of Christ, selflessly serving one another, is the law of Christ. And earlier in Galatians 5.14, we read it this morning, it says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is what Paul means when he says, We are now under grace. Jesus Christ, the one who fulfilled the law, bought us with his blood, saved us by his grace, he is our highest authority. He has fulfilled the law. And he now instructs us to bear one another's burdens, to love one another. And Paul is making this progression. It's, it might be a little abstract right now, but I'm trying to bring it in for you. He's making this progression. You are no longer under the ceremonial law. Check. You are not outside the moral law of God, though. Check. Which has been fulfilled in the law of Christ, which you are now under, which tells you to bear one another's burdens and to love one another. Check. This is how you relate and you reach the unsaved. This is your approach. Because of who you are in Christ as one not under the law, but one free under the law of Christ, you are one who should become a slave to all because this is how you love one another. And not just Jews who are under the law and Gentiles who are outside the law, but everyone everywhere. Paul says in verse 22 that he becomes weak to those who are weak, those who are weak in their faith, those who are weak in their culture's eyes. And not only that, but he becomes all things to all people, going into their place on their terms, eating their food, speaking their language, learning their culture, and then sharing the gospel with them. 
as long as you're not contradicting the law of God which you are under, but using your freedom as one who is not under any law. Don't you see? Christians of all people should be the ones sacrificially subjecting to and becoming like people to communicate the gospel at their level. Who cares about rights? You've been given freedom in the gospel to use it for the furtherance of the gospel, not converting to their practices, but like Christ did, lovingly stepping into their world, giving up freedoms that you might have wherever you are, and showing them the love of Christ by walking where they walk and living how they live. As a warning, just like how Christ came to earth without becoming any less divine, The gospel cannot be watered down and made less powerful in us becoming like other people. We cannot let that happen. We do not become exactly like them and water down the gospel. We become as they are to help them see the gospel where they are. We need to become servants to all, to become like them, and to live how they live, to show them that the gospel is for them too. It can save them too. The gospel is not a cultural gospel, and the gospel is not an American gospel. It is not specific to any one person or place, but it is equally powerful everywhere. And you do not just do this in one aspect of your life, but in verse 23 we see it's in every aspect. Paul says that he does it all for the sake of the gospel. This approach affects everything he does. He submits to the gospel as his highest pleasure and shares it with others, removing all obstacles by doing what? By lovingly making himself a slave to all. His whole life is enveloped in this effort of sharing the gospel with others at any cost. Paul, therefore, subjects himself to other cultures, traditions, practices of other groups to better share with others. And this is how you practically remove obstacles from the gospel. This is Paul's approach This should be our approach. Not that you ultimately become like them, but that they ultimately become like Christ. In Galatians 4.12, he says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I have become as you are. And so, what does this principle and approach, how does that look for us? Is it going to a different country? Living in primitive conditions, speaking a different language, and getting used to some different customs. Could be. Or, is it going to a low-income area in your own hometown and breaking bread with those people and hanging out with them and learning their respective customs? Or, is it sharing the burdens of a single mother that just had a baby? Or could it even be as simple as going with an unsafe family member to a sporting event that you don't really want to go to because you don't really like sports, but it gives you a chance to get down on their level and to see how they see things. That means you can share the gospel more effectively with them. Is that too much to ask? Christ did that on an infinitely greater scale out of love for every single one of you. He stepped out of heaven for you, and it's the least we can do as children who are to follow his example that we go to the greatest lengths to imitate our Lord in loving others by becoming a slave to all. Because though we are free from all, we need to make ourselves slaves to all, which is the practical approach to giving up our rights for the sake of the gospel. 
That was Paul's practical approach. But what is even more important, what is even more important is our purpose or our aim and our approach. Often our aim is what dictates how you approach something. And you see, having the wrong aim might throw off your approach entirely and even make your efforts void. As we learned in verses 15 through 18, we share the gospel, if we share the gospel for personal gain, we lose our ground for boasting and place an obstacle in the way of the gospel. So in Christ, in this Christ-like principle of becoming a slave to all out of love for others, what is to be our aim? And Paul tells us his aim in three ways. First, in verses 19 to 22a, uh, to win. Second, in verse 22b, to save. And third, to share, in verse 23. To win, to save, to share. That is Paul's aim, and it is to be our aim as we humbly submit to the gospel as our highest pleasure, sharing with others by doing what? By lovingly becoming a servant to all who remove obstacles from the gospel. So first, Paul says his aim involves winning, to win. And he says this in verses 19 to 22a in what we'll call the aim or purpose statements, that I might win more of them. I become a servant to all, to the Jew as a Jew, to those outside the law as those outside the law, to the weak as the weak, all things to all people, for what end? That I might win more of them. But what is Paul winning them to? He's winning them over to Christ and eternal life in his name. He goes to the great length that he has described, using his freedom not for personal gain, but out of love. Why? So that others might see and savor the majesty and beauty of God in Christ. Notice that Paul, though he is a subject of the verb to win, and even in the next uh, aim to save, he says, I save, I win. Paul, like us, does not win or save people to the gospel. To the gospel. God alone does this by grace. But how are, they, wow, how are they able to come to faith if they never hear, as Romans 10 says? Paul saves or wins by planting seeds of God's word in people's hearts and minds, which God uses then to save people and win people to himself. Paul sees how beautiful God is in the gospel. He knows that this God is the all-satisfying one the one who saves or wins sinners from their sins out of his unfathomable love and grace. And in 1 Corinthians 1.30, he says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Undeserving sinners, given righteousness, given holiness, and forgiveness of sins. But that is all for the purpose of seeing God in all of his glory. In Ephesians 3, 16-19, Paul speaks of some of the glory of God where he says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. This is what Paul is winning them to, that according to the riches of God's glory, they might have the strength and power of God by the indwelling of the Spirit 
to be rooted in love, to have the ability to be able to comprehend, even in a small way, the infinite glory of God, and to actually know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, to be filled with the fullness of God. We have all of this in Christ. And Paul is saying that he wants to win others over to this so they too may enjoy God and give glory to him. The glory of God revealed in Christ in the gospel is infinitely beautiful and powerful, and Paul will go to the ends of the earth to help lead others to that place of supreme and beautiful satisfaction. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Show them Christ. Become like them. Remove every obstacle. Preach the gospel to win them to this place of fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And as John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So win them to God in satisfaction for the glory of God. Do it all that you might win them to eternal life. Second, Paul says his aim is to save, in verse 22b, that by all means I might save some. And the question that begs to be asked is save them from what? We know what they're winning them to, eternal life and bliss in heaven and the presence of the all-satisfying, all-glorious God, but what are we saving them from? Well, in Romans 5, 9, it says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, that's what we're winning them to, much more, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We are saved from the wrath of God. We are trying to save others from that wrath. Eternal torment and separation from God as punishment for sins is the worst possible thing that we can think of. Yet each and every day, there are people going to hell, to that place of wrath, while we don't do anything. Why is that? John Piper says on these verses that he thinks it is because we don't believe the wrath of God is coming. We do not fully believe in the wrath of God. He says, he says this, listen closely to this. The question that presses itself on me here is this. Is one of the reasons that we make as little effort as we do in winning others the fact that we don't believe the wrath of God is coming? For many today, the good news of Jesus Christ is conceived almost entirely as another strategy to handle psychological needs, depression, grief, abandonment, loneliness, anger, low self-esteem, fear. And the gospel does have an impact on all those things. But, listen to this closely, that is not what makes it the gospel. If the gospel did not touch any of those things in life, which is conceivable, it would still be unspeakably good news. Do you believe that? And why? The gospel is not good news because of its many gifts and blessings. No, the gospel is good news because as Romans 8.1 says, there is no condemnation in Christ. Because of Christ in the gospel, we are no longer under God's eternal condemnation and wrath. But instead, we have eternal life in the presence of God, and that is good news. But at the foundation of why the gospel is good, the bedrock of why the gospel is good is the reality of God's wrath. Do we believe in it? If we did, if we truly understood and believed in the terrible punishment of sin, the wrath of God, we would be evangelizing all the time. 
Like what we read in Malachi 4 this morning, the day is coming when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble, says the Lord God. Why would we spend one second of our lives allowing people to go to that place without hearing the gospel over and over and over and over again? This is how Spurgeon put it. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. This is why Paul does everything he can. He removes obstacles, he humbles himself under the gospel and the commands that God has given, and he gives up anything he has, even becoming like those he is preaching to. He knows and understands the wrath of God for those who are unsaved, and he cannot bear to think that there are countless lives who will have to live eternally under that wrath. In the last day, Paul instead wants them to be healed by the Son of Righteousness and to frolic for joy like calves from the stall. Ask yourselves today, if you truly understand and believe in the wrath of God, this week, study scripture. Dwell on the wrath that you have been saved from in Christ. See the grace of God. Then go and follow the Christ-given principle and practical approach we have discussed. Live your life for the gospel. Preach it to win others to the beauty of Christ and to save them from the eternal wrath of God. And finally, and I would say most importantly, Paul says his aim is to share. To share in verse 23. Now this is a transition verse for Paul as he starts in this verse to show the intimate connection between one's personal witness and one's personal holiness, which continues into the next verses, which we'll have to get to next time I preach. But Paul says that he does it all for the sake of the gospel. He lives by this approach of love in his entire life for the purpose and aim that he may share with them in its blessings. And what does that mean? What does Paul mean by sharing with them in the gospel's blessings? Well, one aspect of this, uh, part of Paul's aim, is that he portrays himself as a partner in the gospel uh, in the common enterprise of winning others. He wants to save them from the wrath of God, win them over to Christ, to see and savor God's glory forever, because he wants to share in fellowship with them as fellow believers. He wants to be together with other people from all different backgrounds for the gospel and for the glory of God. And this is a very, very biblical desire. We see in Ephesians 2, 18 through 19, for, though, for through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Paul wants to practice, support, and build the unity that God has given in Christ. The gospel is not just for Paul and for us. And the Christian life is not to be lived alone, but we are to share in the blessings of the gospel together. And this is what we do on every Sunday morning and Wednesday night. We gather together as believers under the name of Christ and fellowship together and praise God for who he is. And his many blessings given in Christ and the gospel. And this is certainly a biblical aim. However, however, this is not the main or most important aspect of this part of Paul's aim. Looking again at the 
uh, verse, Paul says in the ESV translation that I may share with them in its blessings. So let's look at the logic here. In Ephesians 1, 3 through 4, we had it in the call to worship this morning. Paul writes that in Christ we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So if we have all spiritual blessings in Christ, then Paul is saying that he does all for the sake of the gospel so that he would be in Christ, that he would have these blessings, that he would be a partaker of these blessings. Not having the blessings means not being in Christ. To better see what Paul means here, I gave you the NASB and the KJV translations, which translate it slightly differently in the ESV, same meaning, but it will provide clarity to what Paul is getting at. The NASB says, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. And similarly, the KJV says, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Do you see the different nuance? Instead of focusing on the group fellowship where Paul is already saved and he is bringing more into the fold with him, Paul is really focusing on him being a partaker of the gospel himself. He says that I may become a fellow partaker of it. To Paul, in order to be a partaker of the gospel, you must live for the gospel. The reformer John Calvin said it like this, For when he declares that his aim had been that he might become a partaker of the gospel, he indirectly intimates this, that all who do not act the same part with him, as in the loving Christ-given principle that we talked about, all who do not act that same part with him are unworthy of the fellowship of the gospel. He's saying that in order to become a partaker of the gospel is to receive the fruit of it. And he's saying that if he would not live the life of love, doing all to the furtherance of the gospel and the glory of God, then he has no place in the family of God. R.H. Lenski said on this verse, Paul is saying, if I omit this concern of love for others, although through my work, devoid of such love, many others may be saved, yet myself, I myself, would not be saved. Hear me this morning, brothers and sisters. Paul is not preaching a works-based salvation here. But he is saying that his faith in Christ would be proven to be inauthentic, not saving faith, if upon examination of his life, he was not practicing the life that Christ had demonstrated and commanded us to live. A life of sacrificial love devoted to the gospel and the furtherance of the gospel. And in verses 15 through 18, we saw that preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ is a necessity given to us by command from above and from within. And we are told to live a life of service for Christ in Mark 10. And then in John 3.36, the apostle says, listen to this, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. Praise God. But he who does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God abides on him. A life that is still under the wrath of God is a life that is marked by unrepentant disobedience. What are we if we live in the sin of disobeying a command as foundational as living your life for the gospel and the furtherance of the gospel? James 2 tells us, Faith without works is dead, and faith that does not produce the fruit of the Spirit is not true faith. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 13 to examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. And Paul says here, 
do you want to know a really easy way to test your own faith? Ask yourself this. Are you living your life for the gospel, sharing it with others and sacrificing for it? Because someone who has passed from death to life, from eternal condemnation to eternal glory, who has been graciously and undeservingly given the gifts of grace and faith, that their eyes that were once blinded to sin would be burst open to see the glory of God in Christ that made them surrender their entire life and faith over to a God they cannot even see or touch and were given the stamp and the power of the Holy Spirit that they may live a life of holiness, that they would never have a chance to live outside of God's grace and will one day be able to stand in the very presence of God, gazing at his all-satisfying majesty and wonder for all eternity. How can that person not say something about it? If a person does not speak of this glorious gospel, we can only assume that they have not been changed by it. That is Paul's aim. This is to be our aim. That in practicing the practical approach of a Christ-given principle of a life of love and sharing the gospel with others, we aim to win people to Christ and eternal life in his name. To save people from the very real impalpable, eternal wrath of God. And in loving people like this, we prove the reality of our own faith and confirm our participation in the gospel. So this week, I challenge you to examine your life, to read scripture, read this passage, and the others that I have given you, and pray to God to reveal any sins of disobedience in your life. Ask him for forgiveness, for not living a life devoted to the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. The gospel that said you were once dead in your trespasses and sins by nature, a child of wrath, hopelessly headed for condemnation and eternal wrath. But God, being rich in mercy out of his great and steadfast love, made your heart of stone, a heart of flesh, made you alive in Christ, redeemed you by his blood, sanctified you, justified you, and has stamped you with the Holy Spirit to help carry you from one degree of glory to the next. All of that is for his honor and glory. Believe it. Live for it. Start today. Find just one person who is an outsider in your eyes, one person you know or even someone you don't, and start to share the gospel out of humble submission to it as your greatest pleasure, seeking to remove all obstacles and put aside all rights by living the life of sacrificial love that Christ has called you to live under his law. With the aim of winning others to him, saving them from the wrath of God, improving the reality of your partaking of the blessings of the gospel. This is the word of God from 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23, which I now commit to your further study and faithful obedience until Christ returns. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that there is now no condemnation for us who are in Christ, so that even when we fall short of doing what you have told us to do, the riches of your glorious grace still shower us. Your Son's blood still has redeemed us, and we are still justified in your sight, and we will still one day be with you. Father, help us as we examine ourselves this week. Reveal to us our sins of disobedience and negligence and pride. Give us hearts to break for those who are still under your wrath. And help us to seek and find those people, to fearlessly share your gospel with them. Give us strength and understanding and follow these hard truths this week and beyond. 
We love you, Father. We pray all these things to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.